Hello everyone, and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 103. My name is NBZ, and I will be joined by Bali eventually in this podcast for the first time in the show's history. I'm soloing it on my own. There's no one else around, it's just me. I'm not tricking you, there's no one on Skype in the background or anything, it's literally just me here for the first segment and the reason for that is that Bali unfortunately had some scheduling issue where he was away uh, on a trip on the weekend of Mario Odyssey's release and we thought that's probably not good (laughs) in in terms of us talking about the brand new biggest Nintendo game of the season uh, when you know he's not around to do that so instead of pre-recording our what we've been playing segment we decided hey how about I just solo this on my own and talk about Mario Odyssey and maybe some other games and stuff. We'll see, because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, But uh, in any case, uh, the show is going to continue as usual after this segment, uh, and we will have our emails after the break, uh, where Bali will be joining. uh, And then we'll also have a third segment in which we're going to kind of talk about the state of single-player games and with the closure of Visceral uh, and the repercussions that has on the industry and how Nintendo maybe deals with everything uh, in, in this modern era of, you know, all these service-based things and that kind of stuff so it's gonna be interesting topics to discuss interesting things to get into um and you can also of course uh follow along with our recently announced backlog club if you missed the end of last episode where we announced it uh, we announced that we're going to be playing final fantasy 6 which is a game you can uh, play on super nintendo classic it's available on uh, the wii shop channel get there before that closes down uh, various other places i'll uh, we'll mention it again at the end but uh you can go discuss that in many places you can send us emails this nintendo life at gmail.com uh, or you can go to our discord chat which is pinned at the top of our twitter and our twitter is at tnl podcast so all that out of the way uh let's talk about some video games why don't we uh, some things i've been playing now here's the thing guys i have beaten a lot of games uh, in the last couple of weeks mainly because there is some stuff i had in the background i was finishing up uh and then you know there are some shorter things because of the super nintendo classic obviously a lot of these old games don't take too long so let me just list down what i've beaten and i may go more in depth on some of these uh in the future but uh, there's a lot to talk about with mario so uh, i'm not gonna go too crazy so i finished up donkey Kong country uh which is a game i do want to talk to bali about so maybe i'll talk about that next time but what i'll say is uh, i really enjoyed it i thought it was a great fun time and uh Uh, again you know it's one of those things where the era of you know save systems and lies it was something back then that you had to get over by playing the game again and again and banging your head against it and eventually learning the levels hot or by heart should i say Uh, whereas now we have the luxury of save states so i was able to you know rush my way not rush my way through but like go through that game without too much trouble and enjoy myself i thought it was uh, very well made uh just really surprising in the fact that it controls so well um but i i enjoyed that uh, i also finished up a game called cosmic star heroin which no one is talking about and actually what i'm going to do here is i i have a steam code for this game because i entered a, a contest uh and got uh basically received a copy and i would like to give that out to someone so if you would like to play this awesome uh indie jrpg game cosmic star heroin uh you should email this nintendo life at gmail.com and uh we'll we'll give that to someone it's a steam code so it's not on a nintendo system hopefully it comes to switch in the future because i think it would be a perfect fit there but uh, it's it's really interesting it's very pixel art style it's kind of in the mold of final fantasy 6 or a chrono trigger from the super nintendo days and it has a unique battle system where you're able to essentially uh, you have like a, a, a palette of moves 
and those moves can be used once and then if you want to use it again you have to recharge but the idea is to kind of build up your moves you have a, a style meter which uh, as, as that percentage goes up you gain more power to your moves and so you're trying to build up this style meter by you know saving your more powerful moves for later there's also like a, a kind of supercharge thing where every three turns or so you'll go uh, you'll glow start glowing like a super saiyan essentially and then you'll do a super powerful hit on that particular turn uh, so there's a lot of kind of systems to balance here but it's this really refreshing notion of hey these characters aren't in classes they aren't just learning different spells and stuff like they are uniquely suited with these different abilities and you have to figure out the best way to employ those and and how people work together like what uh, attacks kind of sync with each other and you can also reuse items so there's a potion that you just have at the beginning of every fight so instead of like collecting potions and having to micromanage that stuff uh, you get healed automatically at the end of battles but in the middle of battles you can be like okay i'm gonna use the potion but i can only use it once this entire fight so there's stuff like that which is really interesting and it speaks to the kind of thing i like out of jrpgs which is less the micromanagey aspects and much more the let's focus on this battle system and get it right and that's i think why i like final fantasy 13 more than a lot of people is that in that game it's much more about the individual fight and how well you do and how well you cope with that situation rather than surviving through an onslaught of enemies because you get healed at the end of each fight and that's something that i respect tremendously because i think it's just a it's a real streamlining of the way jrpgs work um and yeah this game is really cool it's got a a great style to it the story is pretty neat it's like very sci-fi inspired um and i would recommend it to people so if you would like to get the chance to play that game i I have a a copy uh and so email us again this nintendo life at gmail.com uh so so great uh i also beat super castlevania 4 uh which is it's a great castlevania game Uh, i really enjoyed it the thing that's interesting about it for me is that when you look at the original castlevania games a lot of the bullshit that they uh pull over on you is to do with your lack of mobility and your lack of um kind of options when dealing with certain enemies so in this game you now have like the ability to move through the air when you jump like you're not committing to a jump and it's not kind of sticking you in one situation you can you have much more kind of maneuverability about that stuff so you won't get stuck in really annoying bullshit situations but you can also whip your whip uh, should i say in eight different directions this time which has a lot more utility and it's interesting though because it does kind of make some of the enemy placement a bit redundant in a traditional castlevania game you have these segments sometimes when you're kind of going up stairways and you have to walk up slowly enough so that you don't get hit by say the axe guy like throwing his axe down at you uh, and being hit on the way up like there's these moments in castlevania one where you'll just get stuck on a staircase and just keep getting hit by people because you're uh, not being careful enough like you you should be shuffling up and down the staircase but now you have the ability to whip upwards and so there are some levels in super castlevania 4 where there are enemies above you on a platform and there's a staircase to get up there but why would you like do that why would you go up the way that you traditionally did in a castlevania game when you can just whip up 
from beneath them and kill them there. I, I found that just an interesting thing that sometimes the game design from the old games has been carried over while not considering the fact that, hey, your moveset has completely changed and so you, that's no longer a threat anymore, right? So uh, I just thought those kind of segments were funny. Like, it was still fun. I really uh, enjoyed Super Castlevania 4. It's definitely, I think, an easier game uh, than the NES ones, but there's still a lot of tough things in there. Like, there's they do a cool amount with the kind of background and the amount of uh, kind of FX, super FX stuff going on. So there's one level in particular where it just slows to a crawl, absolutely um, just sludge uh, trying to walk through it. But uh, I guess at the time it was all about kind of pushing technology and making things look very cool. So so that's what they went with. Um, so yeah, those three games I beat. Uh, the other game that I really want to talk about and that obviously everyone has been talking about is Cuphead. Uh, Cuphead, a game that was revealed in 2014 during Microsoft's E3 press conference, and it was on screen for literally about three seconds, maybe less, and everyone was like, oh my god, what is that game? Because you look at it, and it's astonishing. Like, it is this classic 1930s kind of Disney-inspired... I can't remember what the other uh, studio... uh, Not comic, but cartoon studio that they're inspired by. um, But uh, Fleischer Studios or something along those lines. Uh, But it is very... Uh, deliberately styled after those kind of classic cartoons uh, and its visuals. And so the quality of the animation, just the incredible care and attention to detail is something that immediately stands out and immediately to someone like me. And having played a lot of Mario this uh, last couple of days and also having played Cuphead, it really stood out to me how much polish does for me personally in a game and how important it is as an aspect that I uh find uh, appealing you know it's it's something that it's it's when i look at a game like player unknown's battlegrounds which is getting great acclaim and people are having great time with it super fun um and i look at that game and i'm like eh, it's just it's janky you know like there's there are no clean edges everything has a bit of a roughness to it that i can't jive with it's partially why i've never been interested in bethesda's games Uh, i'm talking about like their main kind of uh you know skyrim fallout studio is because it's never been something that i have been particularly interested in as a result of that very janky very broken glitchy nature to those games so when you take two games cuphead and mario odyssey that come out and are so exceptionally clean and well delivered and don't have any kind of weirdness to speak of it really tells me that you know this is the kind of experience that i personally look for in games and it's probably why they uh, have stood out to me so much but Cuphead is not just a good-looking game, because if it was skin-deep, then I'm I'm not sure many people would be talking about it. Uh, Its action and its platforming and its design are incredibly well done, to the point where there is a hook to this game that really pushes you through, and there's this crazy evolution you go through when fighting bosses. And obviously the structure is there are, it's mainly focused around boss fights. There are some platforming levels which they added in. And I'm actually someone who at the time when Cuphead was first revealed was never really that bothered about platforming levels because I saw this as a boss rush style game. And those have been successful in the past. You take a look at things like Shadow of the Colossus, uh, things like uh, Titan Souls is a new game that came out last few years that has done that thing 
thing and even to some degree no more heroes which does have you know mobs of enemies but that original game and even the second one is very boss battle focused so cuphead being a boss bas- uh, boss battle focused game was something that i actually cared about and i was like y- they don't need to add anything to this but clearly the scope started expanding because everyone was so buzzed about it um and what i'll say about those platforming levels is that they are actually better than i expected them to be uh, most of the time there is an interesting mechanic or level gimmick they throw in there to keep it fresh so it's not just kind of left right running and gunning because honestly the first level i think is probably the weakest out of all of them it's just a forest where you're just beating enemies and just going left to right there's not much to it uh, aside from like simple platforming stuff but they really do amp things up and by the end uh, there are some very creative things going on with those platforming levels and there there are not very many of them there are three worlds in the game and there are two platforming levels per world so that's six total so really a small chunk because the majority of the game is focused on the spectacular absolutely jaw-dropping boss fights and it's not just that they look fantastic it's the surprise that happens every time they go through a different phase Uh, and something clever that cuphead does is it shows you the progress you've made on the boss after you die and there are these little check mark flags that you go past and every check mark flag basically signals a change in form or a change in phase where the boss transforms and does a different set of attacks like goes at you in a different way and you have to adapt and learn those as as you progress Um, and it's very clever because it keeps you hooked right and that's what i was starting to say before i kind of went into talking about the platforming levels is a game like this is only so good as it's able to keep you engaged because it is hard right it's a tough game it's i wouldn't say it's impossibly hard because it's the kind of game that you learn as you go and you figure it out and eventually it's a challenge that you overcome by repeated learning and and just going and bashing your head against it and bashing your head is probably a bad term because it's really enjoyable to figure out the different things that are going on in all these fights um and so that kind of portrayal after you have died keeps the carrot on the end of the stick it's like oh i got to that phase i can i can get there again and and see next time and and so i had examples and if you go back and watch some streams i did uh, of cuphead of the beginning of a boss fight just being completely overwhelmed and not knowing anything what to do just being destroyed like within three seconds losing all my lives and, and dying to completely not getting hit once until right at the very end when you're at the final stage like it's this crazy evolution that the toughest boss fights i found took maybe an hour total from learning about it to figuring out what the best options were for my guns to deal with it to getting to individual stages to figuring out what my best approach was for those individual stages and to finally killing and felling the boss um and in the past i've talked about like the frustration with some of these kind of old school design uh games where you go through a level and you get to the boss and by the time you got to the boss like especially it's, it's interesting i played castlevania recently because this is uh, the, all that series was really bad about it was getting to the end of a level and being destroyed by a boss and having to go through the entire level again if you'd lost all your lives uh which is just the kind of punishment that i don't appreciate because a lot of that early stuff in those castlevania games is not tough to get through like especially maybe kind of midway through the game where like you're just kind of being worn down essentially and the way cuphead gets around that is that they don't have a whole level before the boss like the boss is the level so the entire 
kind of process of going through and beating it is just focused on this one element and you don't have to think about things leading up to it which is it's great and it also allows you to try and be creative with your approach and and the amount of um you know you have like different charms you can equip and you have different weapons you can use and sometimes things will work better than others it a lot of the time it tended to be a survival fight rather than a deal damage fight in the sense that i'm not trying to just pummel them constantly i'm just trying to not get hit and eventually they'll go down right so there there is and there are kind of grades at the end so if you take longer than you should do then you're not going to get the highest grade but honestly that wasn't something i'm bothered by i never really care about that sort of stuff when i played for uh played through bayonetta 2 for example uh that kind of ranking like medal stuff was like ah whatever i'm just here for the spectacle and to enjoy it and so cuphead may be similar in that sense but i just wanted to beat the boss right i just wanted to get to the end and i was figuring out strategies where i was like okay um in this section i want to switch to a gun which auto homes in on the boss because i just want to focus on this platforming element and while i'm just focused on this platforming element i'm still doing damage to it like because i'm holding down the shoot button and it's getting hit uh so there is a lot of that going on where you're focused more on the platforming element than actually hitting the boss itself because sometimes that can kind of be done for you um and then there are kind of the things that i found the hardest about this game were not the running and gunning platforming or the um kind of on the ground boss fights where you have the dash and you can jump and you can dodge but it was the kind of uh the the flight stuff where you're in a ship and you're kind of moving around a whole space because i've never been good at the kind of r-type like um shmup should i say style of game i've I've never been like good at bullet hell shooters as it were uh and so a lot of those kind of boss fights were the ones that broke me down or like oh my god i'm really like i need to kind of learn to be good at this genre as well as deal with this really hard boss fight because i'm someone who's much better at platforming stuff uh, than the shmup stuff so those were the ones that really presented me with the challenge but beating them is so incredibly satisfying uh it's something that i I was just like going against this one boss for such a long time and the feeling you have that that your heart just pounding out your chest when you finally get to the end is it's incredible it's an absolutely masterful game doesn't overstay its welcome it took me around 10 hours to finish like um obviously i'd love more but boy the amount of work that went into this game is just it's astonishing it really is and um it's up there with my favorite games of the year it's absolutely fantastic do not sleep on cuphead uh, and hopefully it can come to switch because i believe they were not funded by microsoft i believe they are still self-published on xbox and they're on steam as well so uh if it comes to switch guys you gotta you gotta play this it's it's an awesome game so with that said let's get to super mario odyssey because uh that is the game that i've been dumping my life into for the last uh, couple of days uh, and it came out and a lot of people have been singing its praises it's been getting incredible scores just uh, just like breath of the wild it honestly feels like we're back in the n64 days with ocarina and mario 64 and these two juggernauts of video games zelda and mario are just at the top of their game right now like nothing challenges them they are uh doing innovative and interesting things and and super mario odyssey is a hell of a game uh it's a hell of a game i have finished the main game Uh, what i'll say is it's actually a lot shorter than i expected it to be it took me somewhere around the range of 12 to 13 hours obviously switch's activity log is a train wreck so i actually don't know what my real hour count is and i won't know until sometime next week uh because we have to wait until the 10 day limit uh, is up 
but uh it definitely um it's the kind of game where i would actually recommend you try and not necessarily mainline it but like hang out in each world for a bit do as many moons as kind of feels right and then move on because the the joy of this game is the constant surprise the constant delight at seeing new things the kind of enemies you can capture with your hat uh and the just beautiful world that you can explore like all these worlds are drop dead gorgeous they look fantastic and i really have to applaud nintendo for sticking to their 60 frames a second uh kind of mindset as they have done with most games on switch obviously zelda's one exception because it's such a huge open world that it's very difficult for them to maintain that but you know splatoon arms uh mario kart even um and this uh it's it's great to see them doing that because the game just feels that much better uh when it's running at a high frame rate it's it's especially for a platformer of of mario's caliber um it lets it stand out uh, a lot so so the fluidity is definitely there so i think that the worlds in this game they are very akin to those in super mario 64 there are a lot of nods to mario 64 in this game there are a lot of things that feel like they are drawing on that past experience um there's a lot of nostalgia tied up in this game generally like loads of references hidden around everywhere uh not least of all the kind of 2d sections that you you go and do which have been really cool and, and i've enjoyed them but um the general layout and the structure of the game is such that the worlds you're exploring are not as large as I maybe expected them to be, but they're so much denser uh, than you could really imagine. Like the the fact that there are, you know, let's say 70 moons in the Desert Kingdom, uh, Tostarina, uh, and that's one of the larger ones actually, um, is kind of crazy because it's not enormous and uh, there's like uh, let's say i'm trying not to spoil anything but like the luncheon kingdom which one that people have seen with the the forks and stuff and the food and stuff going around there um it's not massive it's the kind of place where you can explore around it and get to know it pretty intimately uh quite easily and that is something that i thought would be expanded on i thought from the trailers we had seen like we'd get much larger worlds than mario 64 because there are so many moons you have to get right so it only makes sense that you would have to spend or there would have to be more surface area in order to hide all those uh but there are moments like this moment that i had in the desert kingdom where i get three moons back to back in this very short space like this very tiny condensed area but there are all these different little things that are popping up um and so i think that's the thing that stuck out to me most was okay so this game is definitely about collecting things but it's also about really being uh using your senses to try and figure out the kind of density that's going on here because stuff is hidden in plain sight a lot of time and um you you have to like go through a lot of different um kind of uh, it's a weird thing to compare it to but i think daniel riando of waypoint made this article uh recently when they were previewing odyssey about how it's kind of like a point and click adventure game and i feel that to a to a lot of um a, a great degree i should say uh there are certain moments where you're just like oh, there's a very weird kind of puzzle going on here uh one in particular that kind of drove me insane i thought was just bad uh but there has been a lot of that stuff going wrong uh and um i don't know how i feel about it honestly like there's there's less platforming for sure it's far more about exploring and discovering and 
little mini puzzles here and there and seeing how things interact and honestly how things react because mario odyssey is an incredibly reactive world like there are these little uh, light bulbs in the first area you're dumped into and you can throw your hat at them and they'll turn on and you're like oh that's cool like i wonder what will happen if i go around and turn all them on and you know unfortunately you don't really get anything apart from a little like whoopee like kind of uh, noise and and some mini fireworks almost but uh, there is always something to throw your hat at or to jump at or to interact with and the world says yes to that it always says yes it always says oh there are this pile of cardboard boxes what if i ground pound them oh they're all gonna flatten in this perfect way and it's gonna feel great and it's gonna look great um oh here's this uh you know man in new donk city who's just minding his own business i'm gonna jump on his head and you just bounce on his head you know there's i i use the word tangibility a lot but i think this game takes it to that kind of similar level as breath of the wild where it's not just tangible like it it feels malleable um and is not to the extent that you're like changing and moving things uh that much but there's there's an even deeper sense of that i think in in odyssey uh, and it's it just feels great because a lot of the times in games i find things that break immersion right like say for example horizon zero dawn which is a game i played earlier this year and i wasn't an enormous fan of it i enjoyed it but games like that where there are you know there's these giant mountains to climb and in breath of the wild yeah you can clamber on anything and climb up it and in horizon you're kind of like jankily maybe getting up there and there's clearly areas that you just can't interact with but it looks like you can interact with there's actually a big problem with the uncharted series as well i think a lot of people will agree with me is like sometimes you're trying to climb on something and nathan drake does that like little shimmy animation with his arms going up in the air and he doesn't cling on to anything and every time that happens it feels bad like it's this weird disconnect that takes me out of the experience and that never happens in mario odyssey you will always have something that will react to the input you give it uh and that is astonishing honestly in a game of this scope and size uh to have that clean polish is is just uh, honestly astonishing it's, it's fantastic um so that's been something that has has felt really good and the other thing that feels really good is the way mario moves right because over the years his moveset has expanded i think mario 64 was kind of the template for this where you have the long jump you have the crouch jump which like does a big kind of backflip uh you have the ability to wall jump there's a lot of movement options that people use to speed run and break that game to all hell obviously but you move on to sunshine and that is expanded even further by having flood and having the ability to like spin and and jump and do all these other things and odyssey feels like the culmination of that because not only do you have all the classic moves from mario's arsenal but you now have this cap which adds a whole nother dimension where you can throw it out uh, on the ground and run towards it and it will flip you up in the air you can uh, long jump and throw it out and then long jump onto the hat and then go even further and then long jump again in mid-air like there are these crazy um, platforming segments that you can string together uh, and there are definitely moments where it's like i you know the game probably intends me to do it this way i can just jump and use my platforming skills to get around it in a more creative fashion um and that's something that i think defined a lot of why people liked mario 64 and sunshine is there's this real sense of um kind of personal creativity when it comes to moving your character around and what moves do you like and how do you want to uh get up to this certain point like are you someone who does the kind of um run forward and then flip backwards move the kind of side uh the side jump uh, are you someone who just crawl 
uh jumps like basically um yeah goes into the kind of crawl state and does the backflip as i said uh so there's that variety there and they also have the roll so mario can like roll into a ball like sonic which is really weird there's like the ground pound where you can ground pound and then jump after ground pounding to get a boost it's kind of crazy the number of options you have here and obviously as individual players people are going to crutch on different things that feel the best to them uh but i really found that the cap was an incredible addition to uh his options uh and and really helped get out of sticky situations and it's funny that I say the game is less about platforming because in some ways it's more about platforming than ever in the sense that trying to get to certain areas can sometimes be a challenge unto itself. There's this one area I think of in the Wooded Kingdom where you have to get up to this high area and you can see underneath that there's this little slotted hole that you can probably jump into but it's on the side of the building on uh, outside and I jump out, uh, flick my cap into the hole, uh, dive after the cap and jump into it. Like, that's the sort of thing where I originally in a Mario game, I'd be putting myself in danger. There'd be no way to get out of that situation. But the cap allows you uh, to do that, to get into these uh, crazy places. And that has been really fun. It's been really fun to mess around with that. A big deal about Mario Odyssey is that there are no lives anymore. Uh, A huge deal, honestly, because that really just gets rid of the friction uh that 3d mario games had sometimes where and it was really pointless friction honestly where even in galaxy there would be levels where you would um be bashing your head against it and having to play it again and again and game overing wouldn't necessarily do anything other than waste your time it would just throw you back to the menu and you could then have to go back in talk to rosalina find the place you wanted to go to go there again and you're basically back where you would have started anyway so the no lives thing is cool and i like the fact that they just take 10 coins away from you because it makes coins matter much more in this game you can spend them on outfits on additional moons if you want to um on things to decorate the odyssey with like there's just there's a lot of cool stuff and a lot of like memorabilia and kind of nintendo references uh, that are all built into the currency system Uh, And so despite the fact that you will probably have a crap ton of coins by the end of the game, it's nice that they make it feel, they make death actually feel meaningful, even though it's a much more lenient uh, approach than they've had before, because the game is not incredibly hard as far as I've gotten. I have uh, 380 moons maybe at this point, uh, and there are like 900 total. And what I've heard from some people is that the late game stuff has some real tough platforming challenges akin to like a Champion's Road or or something from the end of the Galaxy series. Uh, and so that's exciting, but it's generally not a super difficult game. Um, and, you know, that's just, you know, even less friction having no lives, being able to take on these platforming challenges and, and not having to worry that much about them uh is great it's 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 definitely less of a focus for the main storyline um and there's stuff in there that gets interesting um but it's it's never too taxing uh there's maybe some segments that i'm like oh i wish they didn't do that like there are there are these nuts that you carry around to make plants and sometimes it's like a giant beanstalk and if you ride it up into the sky you'll get a bonus level uh if you die on that bonus level you have to go get the nut again put it in and climb back up so there is there are moments here and there where they haven't necessarily tightened it up as much as they could have um but it's generally a much better experience i think is is my take on that whole situation but Mario Odyssey is really a game about the little details, right? Uh, I tweeted out a picture when I first got the game about 
Mario had just run into a cactus. And the cactus, you know, it does damage to you. And in any game, you'd expect that. But Mario Odyssey goes one step further because you zoom in on Mario's nose and he has these three little cactus thorns poking out of his nose. And that's the kind of thing that makes this game stand apart from other games is that care and attention. Like if Mario runs in a bit of soot, he starts getting all, you know, um, dirty and he has to like rub it off himself. In a snowy area, the snow will attach itself to his clothing. Uh, Obviously water effects are going to happen and he's going to have to dry off in the sun after he has been swimming for a little while. But there's this constant little kind of breadcrumbing of um, tiny little details down to every time mario sits idle he goes to sleep but if he's next to a bird in a kingdom the bird will flutter over and just sit on his nose you know and just be there peacefully um it's just there is an astonishing amount of tiny little things that other developers would see as that's way too time consuming why would we even do that that's not going to help the game experience whatsoever uh, or it might do but boy that's a lot of work to do that and nintendo are like no we're going to do it no we're going to do all these things we're going to put in these extra tiny little things that make the game feel that much more um fun and and joyous and and special uh, and that's one of the things that defined breath of the wild was moments like that uh, and mario odyssey just has those in abundance and i think it even stands out in the hd rumble because there are certain things there's one thing in particular that i'm not going to spoil but it's an it's a thing that happens with hd rumble and i was like holy fucking shit this is incredible like wow 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 the feeling i'm getting mixed with the sound they are putting out of the speaker is ridiculous how did they do that like it feels like the thing in real life and i'm like what like hmm there there are things in this game that definitely kind of defy expectation uh when it comes to that stuff and uh, even things that people have uh, shown so far in the trailers stuff like the scooter in new donk city when you boot that thing up and you start riding it around accelerating you feel a rev of the engine in your in your joy con it's it's definitely uh something that just again keeps adding to that feel of, of the world being just so interactive and, and, and joyous um and as, as people have probably said like there's a lot of motion control stuff going on in this game which i have not really interacted with that much i mainly played with the joy cons in the grip don't, don't have a pro controller still so that wasn't an option for me um and it's fine i think it works you know it's it's i've not got a problem with the joy cons in the grip it's it works perfectly great but it's definitely to get that feel of the rumble you definitely want to be using the joy cons in some form whether it's attached to the screen or whether it's uh in the grip or even free handing them um i don't know how good the hd rumble is on the pro controller i imagine it's somewhat the same um but yeah that's something that i just wanted to point out was man that's that stuff is 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 really good and 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 makes a difference i think in a way that i think golf story was the thing that that converted me to hd rumble mario odyssey is the one that confirms it which is like okay yeah this is a good thing i like this they should do more with this technology because it's it's very cool um so then let's maybe talk about how the game looks because i feel like there are some things the game does exceptionally well in terms of its visuals and some things where it's a little lackluster on when i first stepped into kind of the wooded area the ground textures are very rough i think devon mentioned that on the show last time that those don't look great but aside from that like the rest of the game looks pretty stunning um and honestly it's not my concern it's more 
uh, to do with how well the game runs and it runs flawlessly and I think partially that's down to the fact that they are doing dynamic resolution scaling you can definitely see it because I turned the camera speed up to high because it was it set on low for some reason I don't know why uh, but I put the camera speed up to high that's how I like it uh, and so when I'm swinging the camera around sometimes you definitely notice the blurriness going on um, because they are lowering that resolution to keep the 60 frames per second I think they did this with Splatoon as well and it's a smart thing it's a thing that i think more developers should be doing is dynamically scaling your resolutions in order to meet the frame rate so that there's no uh kind of jankiness going on and and you don't get that kind of motion sickness feeling from bad frame rates coming in to ruin the experience um so that's been great uh there that you know obviously there are rough edges here and there but for the most part it's it's also to do with just the creativity in the character design and the world design that makes those colors pop uh but yeah they've they've had an approach to art design and mario games for a while that is that is very standout um and this game is no exception it looks incredible it's it's really a sight to behold and the thing which emphasizes that more than anything is that the photo mode is so good i love the photo mode now here's the thing i'm not someone who generally goes in for that stuff i have dabbled in the past uncharted the lost legacy earlier this year was a game where it's like man this is gorgeous it looks great uh i really want to take some photos and i like the way the ps4 handles it it's very easy to kind of snap them i think switch is even easier just because you got the one button the capture button and pausing the action at any time going into photo mode like rotating around getting the perfect shot you want and those filters like the shadow filter is great um just some really great tools in there in order for you to customize your experience and i've taken some screenshots of some ridiculous stuff because there is stuff in this game that you will want to take photos of trust me you will 100 want to have a recollection of the thing that happened there is a boss fight in this game that when it happened my jaw literally hit the ground i was like are you fucking kidding me i am actually doing this right now in a mario game Uh, and i think i spent maybe five minutes taking like 10 different photos of it from different angles because it was blowing my mind that much uh there is stuff that is memorable in this game that you will want to capture and remember so the photo mode was a genius uh inclusion on nintendo's part and not only that just getting out the the video capture stuff in time for odyssey because there have been multiple points in time where i have wanted to capture a video of a cool thing that just happened or in some senses an infuriating thing because there was a purple coin that i couldn't find i finally found it and it was mm, it was it was bad it was a bad time but i got there um so man this this game is just it's i think the thing that is the best about super mario odyssey is the new things that get thrown at you that you don't expect and what i will say is i think maybe nintendo went a little overboard in their marketing showing off the kingdoms um there were surprises for me for sure but not as many as i maybe hoped in terms of like new areas and stuff like there's there's a good amount of stuff in there and even in those areas there's stuff you haven't seen that you're going to want to explore and find but um but yeah i don't know maybe maybe they could have held back a little bit it probably would have behooved me to uh, not watch some of that stuff but again if it's at the end of a nintendo direct and i've watched the whole nintendo direct i'm not just going to stop watching you know it's they've kind of got me hooked in there so but it is absolutely a journey of discovery, a journey of just seeing amazing things. And boy, yeah, I we are, we're going to have to do a spoiler cast for this game because there's just a lot packed in there 
that is hard to discuss openly, especially when the game has only just come out. Um, and I want to do that. So Bally and I will probably have a formal spoiler cast, so you should look forward to that. A couple of things that I will note that uh, maybe could be better. Um, I think this game needs a map marker, uh, because that was something in Breath of the Wild that I found incredibly useful. Obviously, it is more useful in a game that is completely open world. But even in these spaces, they're large enough to where a marker or a kind of map functionality in general would be useful. Um, because, especially with my purple coin hunting mission, that would have been alleviated so much more if I could have you know, mark spots along the way. As it was, I had to bring up an MS Paint document and start crossing things off myself. I was going insane, guys, I'll tell you. It was... It was an experience. Uh, so that would be useful, and I think it could be a good addition if they did that. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, talking about the purple coins again, There's there are ways to find moons um, if you're kind of at the end of your tether and you're like, I've searched everywhere, I have no idea where this last thing is. You can pay Toad a bunch of coins and he'll, like, reveal a location on your map, um, but there doesn't seem to be a way to reveal the location of purple coins. And that sucks because that's a, a currency that is so tied up in a lot of the cool aesthetic things in this game, like the things you adorn your ship with, the costumes you buy. And so I want to collect all of those as well, but um, it's a much more kind of laborious task to go and do those. So, uh, yeah, those are kind of things that I would maybe like to be better. Um, the other thing I would advise is maybe don't try and 100% like worlds all in one go because you will get sick of them i was doing the wooded kingdom yesterday and i was just getting kind of frustrated just like banging my head like oh i need to find everything I need to scour uh, and that's not a good way to play this game um it really kind of drains some of the joy from it because you're just seeing the same places repeated and repeated and just trying to find every nook and cranny um and going back to that stuff having being to different places will benefit you much more. And I think that's why the pacing of the main story works so well, is you never spend too much time in one place. You're always like getting to know it, finding moons, getting familiar, and then you're moving on. Um, and the moon stuff that you do has a variety to it. There's definitely some cool objectives here and there. Uh, but with 900 moons, you're not going to get unique stuff all the time. Uh, and so there are repeated tasks in worlds. Like there's always there's always a female Goomba who you can go up to and romance with a male Goomba. There's always a Cooper race. Uh, like there's there's repeated content in this game that maybe in the in the late kind of stages made me feel like it was less unique overall but honestly there is so much fun and interesting stuff in this game that i can forgive that and i think it's not it's more kind of the completionist problem than anything else uh and you know maybe i should just play this game in burst and, and i think that's how it will work well uh for kind of cleaning up the last stuff um and and yeah so uh there you go i talked for way too long about all these games but uh, i hope you guys enjoyed that and we will have much more in-depth discussion on mario odyssey on the next episode i just wanted to get some thoughts out here right now because uh, otherwise you'd have to wait two weeks to listen to us talk about the game uh, and i wasn't about to do that so anyway uh that's gonna be us uh we'll be back after the quick music break though where we will be breaking down some of your emails so don't go anywhere we will be right back Here we go off the rails don't you know it's time to raise our sails it's freedom like you never knew any bats or a pass say the word I'll be there in a flash you could say my hat is off to you 
Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. It is the second segment and that means it's time for your emails. Uh, we are running low on emails. Um, this this keeps happening. It's it's a big problem of ours and like we'd, we'd really like some more. So I'd like to remind you of the email address, which of course is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. And another important point, if you are on our Discord server, which you can find pinned in a tweet at the top of our Twitter account, which is at TNL Podcast, at TNL Podcast, that's how you get into our Discord server. We have a new thread within our Discord server where you can post an email and we will look through them and pick some out and read them out on the show. So it's another easy way if you don't want to get out your email and find out our email address and write it in. You can just be in our Discord server, type it in quickly and it could be on the show. So those are our two ways of getting a question or an email onto the show, putting that plug out there. So our first email is from Alex, who's from Houston, Texas. He says, Dear MBZ and Bally, I'm sorry I didn't get to send in an email for your 100th episode extravaganza. I'm a horrible procrastinator. Like many other people, I started listening because I was a fan of MBZ's Pokemon content, but I stayed because you two are both insightful and hilarious. My favorite memory of the show was the episode you discussed Triforce Heroes, and the musical interlude was the Sonic Heroes theme song with MBZ's monotone voice replacing Sonic with Triforce. Comedy gold. Just really quickly, I want to say thank you for all the amazing content you've produced the past four years. Please bring back the Clone Wars series soon, and I hope you keep going for many, many years to come. Okay, now for an actual question. If either of you plan on having kids one day, have you ever thought about how you'll introduce them to gaming? Will you start them off with the classics and guide them chronologically? Will you give them the games you enjoyed as a small child and hope they take after you? Will you just let them mess around with whatever is out at the time? Will you ever let them even touch an iPad or will you just make it up as you go along? Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much, Alex, for your uh, belated congratulations about our 100th episode. Uh, I think we're going to get back to some of the YouTube stuff eventually. It's It's been a weird situation where I have not had the opportunity to uh, like get my recording stuff in a place con- consistently. So it's just, it's all up and down, uh, unfortunately, right now. Uh, but hopefully we'll return to that. And a quick story about the Sonic Triforce Heroes thing. This was a 100% Bally's idea. I thought it was <laughs> dumb as fuck. I was like, no, Bally, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. And Bally's like, come on, it'll be funny. Come on. And I was like, no, I'm not going to, why? That's stupid. Uh, and I eventually gave in and did it. So I guess Bally was right. Cause I mean, it got a decent, it got a decent, um, uh reaction i feel for a sure. silly little idea i had uh-huh <laughs> it kind of worked in the end uh but yeah that's that's yeah, if you want to blame anyone blame bally for being persistent and forcing me to do that <laughs> uh, so there you go um so speaking of uh you know the getting kids into games uh our ever present hatred of ipads and all that stuff do you have any ideas, Bally, about how you would uh, introduce a child to video games? Because um, yeah. I think a lot of people have that notion. I've seen it, you know, pondered around on the internet. It's like, well, I'm going to start them with Super Mario Brothers, and they cannot move <laughs> yeah. on until they've beaten that. And then Super Mario Brothers 3, and then World, and then we'll go through the entire chronology. Uh, how do you feel about that? It's a really tough question. I know one thing for clear, one thing is clear in my mind, and that is your point, Alex, on iPads. I just want them as far from 
anything gaming related as possible and like i'm do you own an ipad by the way i don't personally own an ipad i must be one of the few people who has never owned one especially as an apple fanboy how you don't own an ipad is kind of baffling to me right i mean i've got my my macbook and i've got my my iphone i don't really feel the need um i think there are some good games on iphones and we've said this on on ipads i should say on ios in general there are maybe five total and i've played like three of them so yeah and i i do actually think a lot of board games emulate themselves well on ipads but that's a sure. kind of a, that's don't get in that kind of worms we can talk about that another time generally not a good idea for my kids it's not going to happen don't want it don't want it i i hear you mbz when you talk about people and i've seen this online where they're like we're going to start you off with the nes and we're going to yeah. jump you straight into the legend of zelda and it's like that is brutal and not fun and will turn most kids off pretty damn quick, in my opinion. Um, and it also is dependent upon your own age, because for us, we wouldn't have started them with that. We would be like, oh, we're going to start with the GameCube and then, yeah. you, know, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think um, it's important that when I have kids, I want to be on top of the gaming trends. I want to still have the current Nintendo system. I want to know what's hot. I want to know what is appealing. And the cool thing about a lot of Nintendo games is that they do appeal to lots of different audiences, young right. and old. And I think that trying to enjoy a game like Splatoon or Mario Odyssey and Zelda Breath of the Wild, these are fairly family-friendly games that you could reach out and say, son, daughter we will be playing Splatoon tonight and they'd be like, oh yeah, sounds good. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. And that could be something fun. And if I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'd ever force like classic games down their throat. I would, if they really, really, really like video games and maybe they've run out of current games to play because we're not going to maybe buy multiple games a month. We might buy one a month, one every two months or so. If they're like, Oh, dad how can i i want to play something else i could be like okay well try this game from my childhood uh the legend of zelda wind waker or something and i'd probably give them like the hd remake it would hopefully live up in a, in a few years time when i eventually have kids whenever that will be if that happens um mm-hmm. so i think that it's just about making sure that the games are playable, making sure that I enjoyed them in the first place, uh, but being open-minded that like gaming trends are going to change and my kids are highly likely to not like a lot of the games I like, especially at this point in time. And uh, just looking out for those Nintendo games and other indie games, and not loads of other games that appeal to a wider audience that they could play with me and they could get interested in. I, I want to keep an open mind. What would be your call if, for example, uh, and I know this doesn't happen as much these days, but licensed games are kind of still a thing. Uh, let's say, for example, because this came out on the Switch, uh, say your kid is really into, you know, uh, Pixar animated films and Cars 3 is a thing that's happening and there is a Cars 3 game on Switch. Uh, do you, as someone who is knowledgeable about games, unlike, you know, our parents before us, like, because we're, we're a generation that actually knows what is good and what isn't, mm. do you succumb to the pressure of, this kid is a big fan of this movie, I want them to enjoy that and buy this game, even though in your heart of hearts you know it's probably not a great game? It's tough. It's really tough. I think, to some degree... It's just a case of learning the hard way. It's saying, yeah, sure, yeah. I'll buy you that game. Let's right. play it. And then they're like, 
this isn't a good game. I want to play more Splatoon. And or, like, or, or maybe, you know, because, you know, at that age you haven't developed, maybe that's just a game that they enjoy anyway, you know? Like, it's 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 the kind of thing yeah. when you're young, you'll kind of take anything, like you'll eat anything up. And I think we did that a lot when we were oh, younger. Yeah. We played so much garbage. Tarzan. that, like, Yeah, exactly. That's the one example I always go to. <laughs> is like yeah. fucking Tarzan and all this other bollocks. Um, and, you know, with hindsight, we can look back on it. Um but it also, I think it also is like just down to letting them choose what they want to do a lot of the time. And uh, it, I think it's helpful to guide uh, kids uh, with this kind of stuff because you can help inform their taste. You can help uh, get them into certain things, especially if you're into them, then it, yeah. it helps a whole lot. If you have that passion, then that will hopefully like trickle down some. Um, and I can, I can say that, you know, for example, with music, right? Like every time we used to, uh, we still do, drive down to london uh my dad would put on whatever music that he's into because he's driving he's wants that on the radio or, or whatever uh on the cd player um and we would always play uh, mike oldfield's tubular bells which is a fantastic record that is uh, all instrumental it's one of my favorite records of all time uh and through that indoctrination of me having to listen to that all the time on car trips i'm now an enormous fan of that stuff uh and I don't think I would have been had it not been for that influence, right? So I think that there is obviously a role to play there. Um, and I do have kind of similar music taste to what my dad liked when he was younger. So there's definitely, like, in terms of media and crossover, you can definitely um, make sure that your kids are into stuff that you like. Uh, but mm. sometimes they're just going to go off and do their own thing, especially if their you know their friend group is all talking about the latest um, I don't know you know Skylanders or whatever you know that that can happen that will influence them because obviously it happened to us. Look at Pokemon for example, like how much of a phenomenon it was, and it was all down to the kids themselves getting into it and the anime and all all that, that stuff. So so it's it's definitely uh, it's a fine balance. And I think you kind of you have to take somewhat of a hands-off approach uh and i think that's probably what i would do is like you know enjoy what you enjoy but also i want to try and like feed things in here and honestly i think it would maybe kind of change the way i think about games and play games in terms of right now i couldn't give less of a shit about that new yoshi and that new kirby game coming out on switch but if i had a kid who i was able to play co-op with um and you know those games are so inviting they're so colorful like they're really just fun times uh i would be way more likely to buy say those day one than i would something else maybe um and that's weird because it's not necessarily something that i personally am super invested in but i think as a cooperative or just a shared experience uh that's something that i would be interested in yeah it's it's interesting and like you make a very good point mbz about as a parent you have a lot of control especially early on as to what your kid can see and do yeah. uh, to some degree because like if they're at school or nursery or they see other kids and all the other kids have an iPad and they're like, dad, I want to play that game on the iPad. And you're like, oh my God, I don't want to, you to play a game on the iPad. Yeah. <laughs> like it, that's a really challenging situation. And it's about, it's more about um, carrot than stick i think is a good way of putting it where you're saying you should dangle super mario odyssey in front of them and and be like look at this splatoon look at the mario odyssey you don't want to look at the ipad and it's not like saying you can't have the ipad it's saying you can have the ipad if you want but ultimately i know 
Mario Odyssey is a better game, not that I've yeah. played it yet. And, like, look um, at this thing that is way better and way more appealing as opposed exactly. to this thing, which is a shallow, not very interesting experience. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely I look a big forward deal. to the challenge. Bring it yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. I um, it's it's interesting. It, it it's definitely will change a lot of things about how I feel and, and play games. I think it's just because uh, I I just constantly hear people talking about. And I think the the one big thing is that shared experience, right? Because as a kid, my parents didn't play games with me ever. Like, my sister would hardly play games with me. It was mainly with my friends that I was playing games. Um, and so to have that ability to share um, something that you're really passionate about with uh, a child who's, like, just getting into it and, like, is basically a blank slate uh, is great because, you know, you can get them to sit there and watch you play something and they can be excited and want to play themselves you know it's 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 almost indoctrination but also it's just the natural way of things right it's just you know kids will do things that their parents are maybe into because uh, mm. that's the guiding force uh, for a lot of that stuff um, yeah so good, good question though it made, made us both think a lot i think about yeah how definitely. we're gonna do this what's gonna happen but yeah Anyway, our, our next email is from former who is from the internet. Hey, I'm Ezed and Bally. The Smash Brothers series has served as a great gateway into many Nintendo series, a famous example being Marth and Roy's inclusion in Melee, serving as an introduction to Fire Emblem for the Western world. Have either of you gotten into a franchise because of a character being in Smash, or have you ever decided to play a character in Smash after the fact because of another game you played? Cheers so i think this is kind of appropriate to us because when we had super smash brothers melee on gamecube i feel like we were familiar came out in 2002 uh yes probably around that time um i think we were both probably most familiar with kind of the mario series of characters uh and zelda to some extent and aside from that we were kind of blank slates like we just didn't we had never heard of F-Zero before, for example. We knew Pokemon, of course, but... Yeah, like, Pokemon, obviously. Pokemon, Mario, Zelda, definitely not much more beyond that, I would say, yeah. Yeah, uh, and so when you get into deep cuts like the Ice Climbers, like, of course we have no clue who they are <laughs> and, and what they've done before in the past. Um, so I I don't know, like, how directly influential the characters were in us choosing games to play but i think around that era we both got into certain games that had those characters so i think for me the biggest example is playing metroid fusion for the first time uh, and samus being in that game um and me knowing about samus and having i think that the thing that stands out most for me is the music of super smash brothers melee helped when i was getting into these games because there was a nice tie to those games there was something that i could hang on to to be like oh i recognize this like there's there's something that can lead me into the experience somewhat um and fusion i don't know if it has like that many similar themes exactly but the tone and the way that that music is presented is very similar to the way it is presented in the smash brothers metroid stages for example um and so i think that was probably the first one for me uh was the do you think f-zero was for you bali to some degree i think i think i might have bought maximum velocity on the game boy advance sort of regardless of anything smash brothers related and it was almost like a later date i realized uh captain falcon was in melee and was from 
F Zero. Like I, I definitely was far more aware of Captain Falcon, and he plays a much larger role in GX on the GameCube, which I came, I think, came out in maybe two thousand and four. So like a, a little bit after. Whereas yeah. I think uh, F Zero Maximum Velocity was definitely the launch of the Game Boy Advance, I believe, or certainly near it. So okay, to like it's just weird because it's just in and around that that era. Um, I think Captain Falcon might be the only character I think that from Melee really sort of triggered me into another game at that point in time because, like you said, we were just kind of into we were i was hugely into mario kart and i knew all of the sort of mushroom kingdom characters definitely but it was mario kart it was mario party it was smash brothers it was a bit of f-zero but outside of that like there wasn't a whole lot linking smash brothers and melee for me and like the process of playing melee was very abstract from our traditional gaming experience at that time and it wasn't until brawl where we kind of thought, oh, that's from this game, that's from this game, this is from that game, and we'd played way more games, we'd reached out a lot more. By that stage, you were well into games like Fire Emblem and things. And yeah, totally. You, like, it was just completely different, like, the jump, and we knew all the theme tunes to most of the games in Brawl. And it was just incredible how many, how much our our gaming horizons went, like, bigger at that stage. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, Melee was definitely an introduction for just loads of different things. Um not only the characters but as we said the music the um the history like the idea of mr game and watch you you had a what was it called game and watch gallery on game boy was it game and watch gallery on game boy yes i owned one of them on the original game boy classic but there was no way in hell i linked to that to mr game and watch at the time <laughs> yeah it's weird because it has the exact same name but i guess you're just yeah not- we, we we just weren't thinking laterally in those days really like i don't I, we saw like martha and roy we were just like oh that's some retro dude from the past i don't even know where he's from who cares whatever let's play as him he's funny he's 2d you know like it was that kind of very shallow um enjoyment i guess yeah it was almost like i i think we came at that game as if it were just any other fighting game where it just had characters in it and we didn't recognize the relevance or why those characters were there like who who were martha and roy did we even go into that or even think about it too deeply or I, were we just I think like that at some point you had definitely kind of read in magazines or looked up to some degree and every time i i'd sort of say like and we said where are martha and roy from and you're like oh they're from this japanese game it's called fire emblem and you'd like sort of like you're very into like your i've got this knowledge on video games and i'm going to tell you about it bally <laughs> it's like and you definitely uh, was i though i don't know i feel like that happened much later but maybe i, I was feel like, like having, that back then. it's kind of stuff might have started around melee and you definitely knew a lot more about other characters in that game sure on a very rough level you just knew that yeah. it was called fire emblem it was from a japanese game and it wasn't in the west and like yeah it was, I, I don't it, think it, it was until that. i started listening to podcasts that i became an insane font of knowledge for literally everything but yeah, um, yeah. but yeah i think back then it was it was absolutely a bit i i think like i was more interested in maybe the japanese side of games than you were so mm. that's probably why um but uh, he, he also asked uh, if you ever decided to play a character in Smash after the fact because of another game. Uh, and with Smash 4, 100% with Shulk. Absolutely, I chose playing Shulk because I love Xenoblade so much. Um, that was a conscious decision I made. And I think when we talk about the Smash 4 characters that we play as, 
I generally feel like they tend to match up with series that we're a big fan of, or at least we want to try and get good. Like, I remember you were, like, hell-bent on getting good with Olimar because you were so big a fan of Pikmin. Yeah, Yeah, I'm... I went through a phase, especially with Brawl and even into Smash Four, where it was like I can only I can only play characters that I've played their their games, and then the ones that I've played their games, I'm going to get really good at with. And it was like, why was I like that? That's so strange. <laughs> like when you step back and think about it, um, and yeah, Olimar was just a hopeless case. That ca- I cannot get good with that character. Uh, I it can obviously pull off the occasional win with him every now and then, but like. Yeah, it was. Just, I definitely there's something I still quite like, and I can't even say why that I I like about the familiarity of um, playing like the game that a character's from in specifically Smash Four, I guess, and then getting really good with that character. It certainly happened with Samus. Like since yeah. the, I've gotten into Metroid in the time of this podcast, I'd never played a Metroid Pretty game much. before this podcast, and like. I've played, what, six, seven now Metroid games and absolutely loved all of them. And now I'm like, yeah, I want to play as Samus all the time, like in, in Smash Brothers. And I've really grown grown with that character. And like, she's a really good character in Smash 4, in my opinion. So Yeah, it's funny, actually, because I'm someone who is a big fan of Metroid. But I think Samus in Melee and even like up to Smash Brothers 4 feels more representative of her prime incarnation just because you're seeing her in 3D and stuff. Um, so maybe that's the reason that you're more magnetized to it because you're actually a fan of the Metroid Prime series, um, which, you know, the less that I say about that, the better. But uh, it's funny looking back on the Melee roster itself because having a good look at it now it's like i've pretty much covered every franchise on here and i know about all of them and i'm a big fan of most of them like there are obviously the ice climbers is the weird one that's like yeah sure i've played ice climbers maybe once on my ambassador program but it's not a very good game and it's not something i'm really clamoring for more of um and they got cut anyway who cares about ice climbers (laughs) you're right i yeah i think although there's i I have a strong suspicion that if they do smash on switch that they will bring ice climbers back they're gonna come back um but like even down to only just recently did we play earthbound and now i have such a greater appreciation to the portrayal of ness and even lucas uh, in smash brothers because Absolutely. of the references and the thing that really hits me is like re-watching that melee character opening you see ness like rush out of the warp hole um, and it, you can connect it back to like when you teleport in Earthbound, everyone's like they go in a circle and then just run off screen and then just run in screen. It's the exact same thing. He just like runs into the screen and then you have the two guys there and even the stage, like the on it stage is so much more meaningful now that I know everything about that game and what that game is. Um, and even stuff like, you know, Mr. Saturn, just throwing him around as an item is just so funny now. Uh, that we have that context exactly and when you you step back and you think that was a long time before earthbound came out in the west at all at all when like melee came out and like i mean no earthbound had come out in north america oh right sorry right but hadn't come out in europe for no not in europe yeah yeah so it was like really bold that just these characters were in there that we just had zero connection to and then it was again it was like oh yeah they're from some japanese game like it was just you just kind of went along with it but you're right like the process of playing earthbound and 
seeing the the towns and stuff like the teleport like you just said where he rushes onto the street and the music cues and the overall music it's just so it's such a nice way of just maybe paving in the being more gradual about the familiarity having played smash brothers going into a game that is just so different and wild and like interesting like earthbound like you're 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 eased into it a bit more and like i've had that when um even playing like a bit of final fantasy 6 for our backlog club you know like just the the sounds in it and stuff that are associated with the cloud in um smash brothers 4 are there and i'm like oh yeah that's a final fantasy jingle like i know sure. that like and it, it, it's even so even for franchises that are way outside the realms of nintendo it's it's like smash brothers has this incredible impact on tying all of games together in a way that's just really unique and pretty special yeah absolutely um it's funny because you just think about those times when we were debating is Sheik a boy or girl like because we we none of us had played to that point in ocarina of time yet i think (laughs) one of our friends was someone who had played the most of it but even he had no idea um and then like (laughs) is marth a girl or a boy i don't know that that was a weird thing as well like i didn't know whether marth was a girl or not because their voices were quite high i imagine because the japanese actors i think maybe there's a lot of women who play like like boys and stuff in in uh mm. anime and in japanese uh media generally um i think that's actually generally across the board is like women play young boys voices and voice acting um but marth had a voice to where we couldn't really tell if it was if you know it, it was just a weird situation um but uh yeah it's just funny like thinking back on that now and now being like wow we were idiots you know <laughs> like we had no idea what we were talking about um but yeah, I think Smash Brothers Melee will always be a, a, a nexus for our point in time where we like didn't know anything about games. It's like it's kind of like the BC of like our history with video games. Exactly, it's like yeah. ground zero almost of like yeah, this is where it all began almost. It really is. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you're right. We now know and have basically experienced all the games that are in like a link to the characters in that roster of smash yeah. Bros. melee and now we're just a lot more appreciative i think of all the stages and music and characters in that game than we definitely were at the time yeah absolutely so there you go so that's all we've got time for for your emails this week uh but again like i said at the start of the segment we are running out of emails so please send them in uh the email address is this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com uh, we always need more and like i said at the top of the segment again discord server it's a great place to leave an email uh it's pinned in a tweet at the top of our twitter account which is at tnl podcast that's at tnl podcast so head on over there jump in the discord server and write in the email thread and we will consider your question but that is all we've got time for for emails we will see you after the break I'm Mr. King Dice I'm the gamest in the land I never play nice I'm the devil's right hand man I can't let you pass cause you ain't done everything bring me those contracts come on bring them to the king if you haven't finished your plans, haven't worked assiduously, no, I cannot let you pass. Don't you mess with me. 
don't mess with King Tide. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with King Tide. All right, everyone, welcome back to the third and final segment of the show this week, uh, in which we're going to touch on some recent news, uh, which is relevant to the notion of single-player AAA video games uh, in the current modern era of video games, um, and basically just have a discussion about it, uh, what it means, uh, what it means for games going forward, and whether or not it will affect Nintendo, of course, uh, as we always like to put a Nintendo slant on these topics, because uh, the industry uh, is definitely uh, a, a good place for discussion, but, uh, you know, we've got to have that certain angle. So that's the angle that we're going to be discussing this from. So so this news is about EA, uh, who recently shut down uh, yet another studio. I know, what a surprise. EA killing a studio, it's, uh, it's just a, it's like we're stuck in a time loop, isn't it? They just do it again and again. Uh, and they this time have shut down Visceral. Uh, Visceral Bally are a studio who made a lot of single-player action games in the past. They're very well known for the Dead Space series. Um, they also mm. made Battlefield Hardline, which was a pretty poorly received game that did not do very well at all. Uh, but Dead Space is their big thing. Uh, they're the most well-known uh, IP. Um, and so this studio has been shut down. Uh, they are also known, and this is why this news is enormous, uh, because they were pegged to do a Star Wars game, and not just any Star Wars game. They were going to do a Star Wars game that was being written by Amy Hennig, uh, that had the full support of EA behind it, that was going to be this big blockbuster title, and now it seems like that's not going to be the case anymore. The game is not necessarily cancelled, but what it was in its former form is going to shift fundamentally. Uh, And I thought I would just read the statement uh, that EA put out about this because it is very telling uh, about the current state of the industry and and the way EA thinks about things. So uh, it reads, Our visceral studio has been developing an action-adventure title set in the Star Wars universe. In its current form, it was shaping up to be a story-based linear adventure game. Throughout the development process, we have been testing the game concept with players, listening to the feedback about what and how they want to play, and closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace. It has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we needed to pivot the design. We will maintain the stunning visuals, authenticity in the Star Wars universe, and focus on bringing a Star Wars story to life. Importantly, we are shifting the game to be a broader experience that allows for more variety and player agency, leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining the central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore. So, Bally, uh, with all that said, it basically seems like they want a game that isn't going to cost them a ton of money and they put out once and it's one and done. People buy it for $60 and then they forget about it and move on. They want a Destiny. They want a big game that people will come back to that has multiplayer elements. And I think the the most telling thing is the line which says closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace, uh, which is basically uh, what's happening right now is a lot of these games are getting popular. Um, and that seems to be the case here. How, how do you feel about this, first of all? Because I know you're someone, obviously, who only owns Nintendo consoles. You very likely would never have been able to play this game anyway unless you went out and, and played it somewhere else or, or you know got a PS4 somehow. Um, but you're an enormous Star Wars fan as well. Mm. So, so, yeah, like, how do you I, feel? 
I want good Star Wars games to be made. Um, obviously, I'd prefer for them to be on Nintendo systems, but I accept that at this point in time, the deal is with EA, and that's just part of how life works, I guess. And like, yeah. it's I'm happy that games like Uncharted exist, and because they are fantastic games, from what I know of that series, and they strengthen the industry in a sense of producing quality games of that sort of single player narrative driven format where very few games do that these days and like i was really annoyed at this news and like i tweeted at the time i said like video games needs a strong gritty single player star wars game we can't let capitalism get in the way of some awesome creative projects and Mm -hmm. it really feels like this was an awesome creative project and for reasons of well, we want to make more money, or who knows? Like, it just feels like the rug's been swept from underneath them. And it's a real shame, because lots of Star Wars fans want a Star Wars narrative-driven single-player game. Like, the Star Wars universe is strong, and like it could, you could argue it's a strong universe for numerous formats of video games. Um, obviously, it could work really well with whatever they go with, but that space where you can have a narrative-driven single-player experience in the Star Wars universe. There's something very, very appealing about that that I think got so many people excited, obviously, with the addition that is, was written by Amy Hennig. That's a huge, that's huge news. So for that to not be the case anymore is really sad for the industry. Not, and that's coming from not just as a Nintendo fan, but a Star Wars and video game fan. Yeah, it's it's kind of shocking that an IP with the power and reach of Star Wars, and yet EA said, no, this game's not going to make us enough money. Like, isn't that staggering? The fact that they they looked at this and they were like, this is the biggest IP in the world. Like, I, I, pro- I think it probably is, like, the largest single IP in the world. And yeah, I think so. And this one game that hopefully was going to be well-made and, and, and well-produced is, is not going to do what they need for their checkbooks like it it says it signals me two problems like number one they the price of creating games and the ballooning budgets has got to a point where to make something of the caliber of a naughty dog style single player narrative adventure man you have to put a lot of money into that because the the hd assets even now into 4k it's just become ridiculous right almost untenable um and so the amount of money you're putting in to create this game is just not going to bring back the results that you want um and the question is like whether that's just an ea problem or whether that's a problem more wide uh, in the industry do you, how do you feel about that Bally? because the thing with naughty dog is that they are owned by sony and so the reason that they can kind of get away with this and i think this kind of leads into nintendo as well is that they have a platform to sell they are able to put the money into making these big single player games because it's another exclusive in their belt to push hardware um is is this then a problem just for the third parties do you think possibly and like i i don't know I don't know what other good examples there are out there of like really big projects that have been cancelled uh, so publicly in this way. Like a lot of things that get cancelled, you know, like it, not much is said about them. This is super high profile. And that's right. That almost leads into the question of like, 
part of the the you know life cycle of video games is when they're when they're born we hear about them really really early on and it's a big deal when we hear about them early on like we already know metroid prime 4 is coming but we know nothing about that game yeah, and like, we saw a logo exactly and like these ea star wars games like every e3 since they've done that deal like ea has shown very very like small amounts of star wars games and like they've shown practically nothing like the the thing that the ongoing meme about ea's e3 presentation is they show people in a studio on computers with (laughs) like graphic (laughs) meshes and like concept art it's like really like you have nothing to show on this whatsoever and understandably like this is going to be a big game so it's going to take a long time to make but if you have nothing to say they don't say anything you know like ea should probably not do an e3 press conference anymore i know and, and this announcement shows that they've become a victim of their own problem in that giving these re- crazy far in advance like announcements of yeah we're working on this single player star wars game with amy hennigan it's like what wow and then like oh we're not doing it anymore well why did you even tell us in the first place when you had nothing to show on it sort of thing so uh, yeah it's honestly it's kind of an investor thing as well it's right the the fact that they had the star wars license was an enormous deal for ea and it was like okay we've got to tell our investors what we're working on so they have faith in the future of what we're doing um so i, I think they're kind of a victim of, of that deal in a sense uh but it doesn't help for sure the fact that they had to say all of it early um so yeah i guess in terms of all this other stuff like are you are you worried that we're now in a place that games like destiny where microtransactions are prevalent where it's a service-based game that people are keeping on coming back to do you think that's going to become the norm because for me personally and i again i was kind of talking about this on twitter i feel like people only have time for one or two of these types of games and the types of players who play these games are the types of players who don't really play much else in the sense that a destiny person who is hardcore into destiny puts a thousand hours into that game in a year and they don't really play another game like they have that one game they're mono gamers and this is a term that i think is gets used a lot in the youtube space and i at one point was kind of that with my pokemon stuff but do you think that they're chasing after the wrong thing they're barking up the wrong tree here just trying to go for another one of these yeah maybe because it's quite dangerous going for the mono gamer because it's very hit and miss if you can make sure that you are if you become that mono game you're doing incredibly well like yeah. like look at splatoon's like i guess a nintendo example to some degree like there's lots of people who just play splatoon maybe but like the idea that a person only plays one game if you can make sure that person is playing this multiplayer star wars game whatever it becomes they've done they've hit it out of the park like they that will just do incredible things for them monetarily but if if people are like you know what no i've got my multiplayer online games i'm gonna I'm going to play a bit of this Star Wars one, but then I'm going to to pass. Like, I'm not going to... This isn't going to be a long-term thing. Then this whole project could completely flop. And I think that could really pave the way for what we see in the future, where you're right. Like, the market is saturated. Like, this can't go on where you just have multiplayer game after multiplayer game coming out because there's only so many people out there playing these types of games. Yeah. Whereas... There is there are plenty of people out there who play all the Uncharted's, and then when they're done with that, they move on to more games. And like, arguably, that in some circles is a far better uh, model when it comes to making some money because you you, yeah. can, you can guarantee that like the market will will 
adapt your game briefly to play that game and then they'll move on to other things yeah it's it's interesting because in in that sense the person who buys and plays all the uncharted is probably actually making them less money in the sense that the money they have to put into making each of those games the the uh, generated revenue they get back from that one player is probably less than a person who plays destiny for a year and buys all the microtransactions or someone who plays overwatch and spends 50 dollars on a ton of loot boxes right like there are those players out there who you know just like in the mobile space and we're seeing it being applied to AAA games today is they are taking mobile microtransaction models and applying them to games which already cost $60 out of the box. Um, and a lot of people have been disgusted by that. And it's a, a thing that has become a great deal of debate in the last like month or so, the last couple of weeks even, uh, with the release of like NBA and Shadow of War um, and Star Wars Battlefront 2's beta, like just all this stuff coming to a head. Um, it just feels like people are kind of sick of it. But the irony being that the people who shout the loudest about this are the people who know that it's happening. Your average Joe who buys Star Wars Battlefront 2 doesn't know nor does he care he just wants to play this game and get a bunch of cool stuff so maybe he will spend ten dollars and get get some loot boxes and and hopefully he gets a skin that he likes or whatever like that's the ultimate problem is that the mainstream people are the people buying this stuff not the people who are shouting from the rooftops about it and ultimately as long as those mainstream people just keep doing this because it's what's fed to them they're gonna keep making games like this and they're gonna keep making money from them hand over fist uh and that's sad to me like incredibly because it leads to like less interesting games uh, a less kind of diverse industry and everything funneled into this one business model which hopefully mm. is gonna eventually you know change and something else will come and uh, yeah it's, it, I, th- I can't remember who said it but there's a podcast i was listening to that someone was saying that look like things that were popular at the point in time that they came out were radical changes like you look at something like grand theft auto 3 like when that came out that was an innovation of the highest level and now open world games are a dime a dozen like the the innovators are the ones who who set the trends and then things will start to kind of change from there because everyone starts chasing them look at player unknown's battlegrounds right now and what's happening with that game so uh i i do think that there's definitely a space for these other games and i think like the industry at large is open to that because we have the independent scene which is able to support it and we also uh, as we should probably move on to have nintendo and nintendo this year have proved that people care about games uh, and playing them disconnected from the internet as well as funnily enough a lot of games that are kind of connected to the internet and are service-based in their own way um how, how do you feel about nintendo currently valley because it's an interesting place they're in. They have things like Arms and Splatoon that are essentially what you could call service-based games, but they don't have loot boxes. They don't ask you to pay for DLC. Every update is free, and it's just about keeping the player engaged as opposed to trying to monetize the player. Yeah, and like we know that they are, they do want to monetize next year, but that, that cost will definitely be lower than what we're talking about with this potential future Star Wars game or like even Destiny, I'm sure, right? So right. like it's still a lot cheaper even if Nintendo are gonna monetize it a bit. And like you're right, Nintendo when you look at the structure of a game like Mario Odyssey and you're talking about how much that has changed from say Mario sixty four, in the grand scheme of things, this is this is still like, you know, a single player platforming game like that model hasn't changed as to why people like mario like yes they're gonna the yes mario odyssey is vastly different obviously and we will get into that but 
ultimately that model is just what nintendo does like it's all it is to a large degree all about the single player like i know that mario kart sells incredibly well smash brothers sells very well but mario zelda metroid like these franchises are very important staples like brands to nintendo and they're not going to be changing those brands anytime soon it feels like you would think like now obviously we had like dlc elements to to breath of the wild and obviously mario kart in the past and like nintendo are copying certain models but like the big trend and stuff like loot boxes the big trend in like online multiplayer games like you're saying with player unknown battlegrounds like i don't see those trends nintendo getting there anytime soon and they do feel very immune in a in a way because i think the vast majority of people who are buying nintendo systems they don't want to play these these like online multiplayer games to that extent. Obviously, they want some Splatoon. They might want some ARMS. They want a bit of Mario Kart. But like that's what Nintendo gamers are often used to. It's those those maybe three four games that you play online sometimes, not all the time. And like you're you're not a mono gamer. So I think that for Nintendo, when you're if you're like with Sony, like if you're if you're the platform provider, you're providing the platform the idea of mono having a mono gamer is like the worst possible outcome to some degree because you want people to buy lots of different games so sure i can see nintendo staying cl- well clear for at least a very long time um and that gives me great confidence in someone that owns a switch and with loads of great games coming out and more coming out in 2018 like let's just let this fad uh burn up and vanish because i think like i do think it is a fad and i think that um it will come down pretty violently at some point and i i don't i just don't think that people are willing to pay more money for by and large the same experience which is what it feels like when you talked about that model of paying you know the 60 dollars for your standard uh box game and then the dlc and you know microtransactions on top of that like that is just not sustainable in my mind uh even for a mainstream gamer like surely they're going to realize I'm paying way more money into this and it's not I'm not gaining anything extra like I I'm not sure how sustainable that is. Yeah, it it depends on the person by person basis, right? And I I do worry that those types of people exist in much larger quantities than we'd like to imagine. Um although for the most part it's kind of like the mobile market where you'll have the few whales out there uh who yeah. just spend a crap ton of money and uh and leave everyone Keep else to going, right. right to ignore it essentially. Um but I don't know if Nintendo will eventually embrace the loot box idea or maybe they already have like the thing that I always come back to is Pokemon cards <laughs> sure to some degree people are making that argument a lot about like loot boxes versus right. like trading card blind packs and stuff like that and the ability um, to sell them on it and things right right yeah yeah it's, it's weird uh, but like take something like Amiibo which in Zelda to, to unlock the special costumes you have to press that amiibo every day like it's almost like you're getting different loot boxes every day granted you're not paying for them all the time you upfront paid the cost and got a figure for it but to some degree they're kind of like leaning into that stuff in a in a very nintendo like fashion um obviously they're not like extorting people for it unless you know your opinion on amiibo is that they are extortion which i would be open to the argument that that's true but uh do you think that they will maybe try to follow suit and and get into this marketplace because as we've said like it took them time to embrace dlc and season passes but 
I'll tell you what, they announced that Zelda season pass, we still have no fucking clue what the single player content is, and other companies and get dragged... A have already paid for it. Right, and a, but a lot of companies get dragged across the coals for announcing a season pass and not actually telling you what's in it. And they practically haven't told us what in it, what's in it, and I haven't bought it, and I don't see any reason to buy it until I actually know what that stuff is. Uh, and I'm not going to until I do. Um, so they have embraced some bad parts of the industry. Will they go to this extent, do you think? It's it's hard, and... I would stick I would stick to my previous argument about like I don't think it's in Nintendo's interest to create mono gamers and that they want gamers who are buying multiple games and yes there might be a game every now and then where they think that you, you can have those cash cows that buy tons of microtransactions like the whales that just like keep a system going I I know that Nintendo might be trying to reach that model and you know they've they've done mobile games like Fire Emblem and stuff and they've they've you know drunk the Kool-Aid to some extent on that but I I can't see them playing too much with that formula of a Nintendo AAA game uh delving into microtransactions in the way that um like we've seen a lot of games doing I I'm and and that's because I think Nintendo is very protective of their costs, and ultimately, like we're already paying a lot more for those Wii. It's for, I was going to say Wii U. I, I mean, the Switch AAA games, the jump up from the Wii U is huge, and like sure. that's partly due to the success of the Switch. The, the it's failure also of partly the due to economic conditions in the United economic Kingdom. Economic conditions, uh, exactly. But. Um, but and so, Nintendo first party games are feeling more expensive, and. It's like thank God that's complemented by some fantastic indie games out there that are such an affordable price, like Golf Story and Stardew Valley that yeah. we talked about on previous shows. Like I think Nintendo would be in a really tricky place to sell their sell their their model to to someone who just didn't buy any uh, non Nintendo first party games. And I'm sure there are people out there who just only buy the first party games. But like it's an it's a very unique model that Nintendo have kind of got themselves into maybe not entirely on purpose it might just be the way it's worked out but you know they've worked really hard to get those indie developers onto the switch and like it's paying off so far uh and that's what makes me most pleased about the switch is that like it's it's just this completely different model that sets itself apart from just in my opinion all the awful stuff going on when it comes to microtransactions online multiplayer games i'm largely not interested in uh and it's a real shame, as I said before, that that's a, like what takes the fall for the rise in multiplayer online games, the Star Wars single-player game. I think that is just a real shame to get back to the start. Yeah, uh, I mean, we do need to talk about indie games a little bit because they ultimately will fulfill the promise of single-player games no matter what happens, I think. Like, there's there's always going to be a space where a single-player experience will exist because independent developers exist and because they want to create that style of game. And because it's so hard to create a, a big online multiplayer thing if you're such a small company, like, no one's chasing that because it's next to impossible. Like, not only do you need more resources, but you also need a player base which is large enough to sustain that for a long enough time. And uh, aside from the huge corporations out there, like, no other, like, smaller companies can deal with that stuff uh, because, you know, the drop-off rate is ridiculous. Um, it's There are some unique situations. Obviously, you have things like Rocket League, which is an independent game that has done incredibly well and still has a very vibrant online community 
But again, that's a game that was given away to people for free through PlayStation Plus, and then so they did a good job of like sustaining their audience yeah, and keeping that's them a really engaged. interesting, unique model in and of itself. And like you know, the Daniel Dwyer uh, documentary where he like goes into he talks to like the developers about what model they went to when they because they obviously relaunched from it's like a Rocket League is a new game based on the original can't even remember the name of the it's, game i think it? it's called like superpower acrobatic battle cars or something a ridiculously that pretty, long that name. was pretty impressive mbz but yeah, yeah so so they were intrigued they were working out what was the best way for this model to work and then they said like how scary it was to just offer something for free but then you know just the number of people that played that game and then bought it later or like paid money later like it was just unique and incredible yeah i am um... It's interesting. I, I honestly, I don't have a problem with service-based games fundamentally because I've enjoyed a lot of them. I, in, in the year where Persona 5 came out and where Zelda came out, the game I've played the most is Overwatch, uh, which is ridiculous because I hardly ever stick with multiplayer games whatsoever. I played Overwatch yesterday. Like it's It's a game that I have kept coming back to. And I will say it, it's because of the loot boxes and it's not because i'm paying for them it's because they have a system that is tapping into that kind of part of your brain where you're like okay i level up and i'll get a new thing and maybe it'll be a cool thing because the art on some of those skins is fantastic and you want to unlock them and you want to get them where there's something like splatoon which i've enjoyed and i like playing it doesn't feel like there's that like carrot at the end of the stick for me to keep going after in splatoon like sure i get new weapons but i'm kind of happy with the weapons i have already and you know this the f- fashion style stuff is not like super my jam in that game like it's okay but the skins in overwatch are like oh my god i love these they look amazing their art team does an incredible job and yeah that's that's the thing that keeps me coming back which is ridiculous but it's working right even on someone who acknowledges and knows that loot boxes are a bad thing it still works on me Uh, and that's the kind of terrifying aspect is like because there are people out there who will spend the money who don't have the self-restraint that i do who knows how bad it can become um and yeah that's that's the big thing i think uh is it's dangerous uh so yeah it's this is, we're just a, a very interesting place right now with the industry and where things are going. But uh, ultimately, I think we're going to be fine in terms of single-player games. I don't think we're, you know, never going to see third-party big single-player games again, especially because you look at something like Ninja Theory's Hellblade, which came out at a $30 price, uh, was a shorter experience, but had the budget and the production values of a AAA game. Like, you look at Hellblade, and it's gorgeous. Like, it looks fantastic. Um and that's possible still it's still possible to not spend stupid amounts of money on a game and make a good return on it and and not have to delve into the microtransactions and not have to do all this horrible other manipulative gambling stuff that that has been happening um so there are examples out there uh and 2017 most of all has reminded us that jesus christ video games are good and hopefully they keep being good so exactly there we go let's focus on the good but yeah this was a bit of a focus on the negatives uh this segment but yeah but you know i've got to talk about it uh all right well i think that's probably going to close things out uh for the show this week uh we have a lot of things that are coming up including our backlog club so do not remember i do remember remember. uh do not forget i was going to say uh to uh keep participating in that we are playing final fantasy 6 
uh, you can get it on the Super Nintendo Classic, on the Wii Shop channel, uh, PSN. Uh, you know, there are places you can find this game, uh, GBA even. Uh, so go out there, start playing. You can uh, chat about it uh, with us uh, in our Discord channel, uh, which you can find at the top of our Twitter account. And that Twitter account is at TNL Podcast. Uh, you can follow us there, find all the latest breaking everything to do with the podcast. Bally, where can you be found on the internet? Please find me on Twitter. I am at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. Uh, and as MBZ said, check out the podcast Twitter account at TNL Podcast and you can get into our Discord server from there. We've got a good chat going on there. So definitely worth checking that out. Um, and Absolutely. I should also mention, we are running out of emails. So we would really appreciate uh, you guys to send in some emails, some questions, some thoughts, some comments, some criticisms. We want them. It's thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. Please send them in. And of course, you can also give us emails on that Discord channel. So uh, please uh, feel free to do that if that is your preferred method. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at LordNBZ. And you can find the show in various different places. We are on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on any podcast app that exists. Just download us on those. Uh, and uh, we'll go right to your listening device. Download it. It's very convenient, very useful. MBZ, I like it. Have you heard the phrase podcatchers? Uh, no, that's a good phrase. I've, I've, though. I've heard a few British podcasts. They they say it at the like to plug their their podcast. They say on all your all your podcatchers. Hmm, and it's I'm a good like, uh, what is little that? phrase? I think it just means any app that can yeah, I guess catch so. podcasts. Right? How did they? How did? Why? Why did the Brits come up with these names? I don't understand. And yeah, anyway, we're weird. We're just strange. We're a strange bunch of people. Uh, if you didn't realize that from listening to this show, well, there you go. <laughs> that's that's what we are. Um, yeah. And uh, anything else, Bally, before we go uh, on this week's show? I think I need to go play some Final Fantasy VI. I think you do. I think I need to start that as well. I need to get going on it. So we hope you will join in. We hope. Uh, uh, it will be a fun discussion. And again, we don't have a deadline on that at the moment. We know everyone's in the anticipation of Mario right now. That's probably what's the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, but uh, that's going to be that. And until next time, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, until then, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye, folks. Musical interludes used in today's episode were Jump Up Superstar from Super Mario Odyssey, copyright Nintendo 2017, and Die House from Cuphead, copyright Studio MDHR 2017. Yeah, um. Great. <laughs> Let's wait for that to die. <laughs> oh my god, someone pick up the fucking phone.